Section 30 of A History of Our Own Times, Volume 1 by Justin McCarthy. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Pamela Nagami. Chapter 13, Peel's Administration, Part 1. Some important steps in the progress of what may be described as social legislation are part of the history of Peel's government. The Act of Parliament, which prohibited absolutely the employment of women and girls in mines and collieries, was rendered unavoidable by the fearful exposures made through the instrumentality of a commission appointed to inquire into the whole subject. This commission was appointed on the motion of the then Lord Ashley, since better known as the Earl of Shaftesbury, a man who during the whole of a long career has always devoted himself sometimes wisely and successfully sometimes indiscreetly and to little purpose always with disinterested and benevolent intention to the task of brightening the lives and lightening the burdens of the working classes and the poor the commission found many hideous evils arising from the employment of women and girls underground and lord ashley made such effective use of their disclosures that he encountered very little opposition when he came to propose restrictive legislation in some of the coal mines women were literally employed as beasts of burden where the seam of coal was too narrow to allow them to stand upright they had to crawl back and forth on all fours for fourteen or sixteen hours a day dragging the trucks laden with coals the trucks were generally fastened to a chain which passed between the legs of the unfortunate women and was then connected with a belt which was strapped round to their naked waists their only clothing often consisted of an old pair of trousers made of sacking and they were uncovered from the waist up uncovered that is to say except for the grime and filth that collected and clotted around them all manner of hideous diseases was generated in these unsexed bodies unsexed almost literally some of them became for their chests were often hard and flat as those of men and not a few of them lost all reproductive power a happy condition truly under the circumstances where women who bore children only went up to the higher air for a week during their confinement and then were back at their work again it would be superfluous to say that the immorality engendered by such a state of things was in exact keeping with the other evils which it brought about lord ashley had the happiness and the honour of putting a stop to this infamous sort of labour for ever by the act of eighteen forty two which declared that after a certain period no woman or girl whatever should be employed in mines and collieries lord ashley was less completely successful in his endeavour to secure a ten hours limitation for the daily labour of women and young persons in factories by a vigorous annual agitation on the general subject of factory labour in which lord ashley had followed in the footsteps of mr michael thomas sadler he brought the government up to the point of undertaking legislation on the subject they first introduced a bill which combined a limitation of the labour of children in factories with a plan for compulsory education among the children the educational clauses of the bill had to be abandoned in consequence of a somewhat narrow-minded opposition among the dissenters who feared that too much advantage was given to the church afterwards the government brought in another bill which became in the end the factories act of eighteen forty four 
it was during the passing of this measure that lord ashley tried unsuccessfully to introduce his ten hours limit the bill diminished the working hours of children under thirteen years of age and fixed them at six and a half hours each day extending somewhat the time during which they were to be under daily instruction and did a good many other useful and wholesome things the principle of legislative interference to protect youthful workers in factories had been already established by the act of eighteen thirty three and lord ashley's agitation only obtained for it a somewhat extended application it has since that time again and again received further extension and in this time as in the former there is a constant controversy going on as to whether its principles ought not to be so extended as to guard in almost every way the labour of adult women and even of adult men the controversy during lord ashley's agitation was always warm and often impassioned many thoroughly benevolent men and women could not bring themselves to believe that any satisfactory and permanent results could come of a legislative interference with what might be called the freedom of contract between employers and employed they argued that it was idle to say the interference was only made or sought in the case of women and boys for if the women and boys stop off working they pointed out the men must perforce in most cases stop off working too some of the public men afterwards most justly popular among the english artisan classes were opposed to the measure on the ground that it was a heedless attempt to interfere with fixed economic laws it was urged too and with much semblance of justice that the interference of the state for the protection or the compulsory education of children in factories would have been much better employed and was far more loudly called for in the case of the children employed in agricultural labour the lot of a factory child it was contended is infinitely better in most respects than that of the poor little creature who is employed in the hollowing at the crows on a farm the mill hand is well cared for well paid well able to care for himself and his wife and his family it was argued but what of the miserable giles scroggins of dorsetshire or somersetshire who never has more in his life than just enough to keep body and soul together and for whom at the close the workhouse is the only haven of rest why not legislate for him at least for his wife and children neither point requires much consideration from us at present we have to recognize historical facts and it is certain that this country has made up its mind that for the present and for a long time to come parliament will interfere in whatever way seems good to it with the conditions on which labour is carried on there has been indeed a very marked advance or retrogression whichever men may please to call it in public opinion since the ten hours agitation at that time compulsory education and the principles of mr gladstone's irish land act would have seemed alike impossible to most persons in this country the practical mind of the englishman carries to an extreme the dislike and contempt for what the french call les principes in politics therefore we oscillate a good deal the pendulum swinging now very far in the direction of non-interference with individual action and now still farther in the direction of universal interference and regulation what was once humorously described as grandmotherly legislation with our recent experiences we can only be surprised 
that a few years ago there was such a repugnance to the modest amount of interference with individual rights which lord ashley's extremist proposals would have sought to introduce as regards the other point it is certain that parliament will at one time or another do for the children in the fields something very like that which it has done for the children in the factories it is enough for us to know that practically the factory legislation has worked very well and that the non-interference in the fields is a far heavier responsibility on the conscience of parliament than interference in the factories many other things done by sir robert peel's government aroused bitter controversy and agitation in one or two remarkable instances the ministerial policy went near to producing that discord in the conservative party which we shall presently see break out into passion and schism when peel came to deal with the corn laws there was for example the grant to the roman catholic college of maynooth a college for the education specially of young men who sought to enter the ranks of the priesthood the grant was not a new thing since before the act of union a grant had been made for the college the government of sir robert peel only proposed to make that which was insufficient sufficient to enable the college to be kept in repair and to accomplish the purpose for which it was founded as macaulay put it there was no more question of principle involved than there would be in the sacrifice of a pound instead of a pennyweight on some particular altar yet the ministerial proposition called up a very tempest of clamorous bigotry all over the country what macaulay described in fierce scorn as the bray of exeter hall was heard resounding every day and night peel carried his measure although nearly half his own party in the house of commons voted against it on the second reading the whole controversy has little interest now perhaps it will be found to live in the memory of many persons chiefly because of the quarrel it caused between macaulay and his edinburgh constituents and of the annual motion for the withdrawal of the grant which was for so long afterwards one of the regular bores of the house of commons many of us can well remember the venerable form of the late mr spooner as year after year he addressed an apathetic scanty and half-amused audience pottering over his papers by the light of two candles specially placed for his convenience on the table in front of the speaker and endeavouring in vain to arouse england to serious attention on the subject of the awful fate she was preparing for herself by her toleration of the principles of rome the maynooth grant was abolished indeed not long after mr spooner's death but the manner of its abolition would have given him less comfort even than its introduction it was abolished when mr gladstone's government abolished the state church in ireland another of peel's measures which aroused much clamour on both sides was that for the establishment of what was afterwards called the godless colleges in ireland o'connell has often had the credit of applying this nickname to the new colleges but it was in fact from the extremest of all no popery men sir robert henry ingalls that the expression came it was indeed from sir robert ingalls side that the first note sounded of opposition to the scheme although o'connell afterwards took it vigorously up and the pope and the irish bishops condemned the colleges there was objection within the ministry as well as without to the maynooth grant mr gladstone who had been doing admirable work 
first as vice-president and afterwards as president of the board of trade resigned his office because of this proposal he acted perhaps with a too sensitive chivalry he had written a book as all the world knows on the relations of church and state and he did not think the views expressed in that book left him free to cooperate in the ministerial measure some staid politicians were shocked many more smiled not a few sneered the public in general applauded the spirit of disinterestedness which dictated the young statesman's act mr gladstone however supported the queen's college scheme by voice and vote the proposal of the government was to establish in ireland three colleges one in cork the second in belfast and the third in galway and to affiliate these to a new university to be called the queen's university in ireland the teaching in these colleges was to be purely secular nothing could be more admirable than the intentions of peel and his colleagues nor could it be denied that there might have been good seeming hope for a plan which thus proposed to open a sort of neutral ground in the educational controversy but from both sides of the house and from the extreme party in each church came an equally fierce denunciation of the proposal to separate secular from religious education nor surely could the claim of the irish catholics be said even by the warmest advocate of undenominational education to have no reason on its side the small minority of protestants in ireland had their college and their university established as a distinctively protestant institution why should not the great majority who were catholics ask for something of the same kind for themselves peel carried his measure but the controversy has gone on ever since and we have yet to see whether the scheme is a success or a failure End of section thirty